two more keys for you as we talk about effective prayer. And here's the first. I want you to understand this morning that we pray more effectively when we continue our conversations with God over a period of time. We pray more effectively when we continue our conversation with God over a period of time. And when I say that, talking about continuance or perseverance in prayer. Remember, we started talking about prayer a couple months ago when we started answering questions like, does prayer work? And we said, yeah, of course prayer works. God always answers prayer. Sometimes the answer is no, and when it's no, it's grace unto you. And sometimes the answer is yes, and praise God, that's awesome. And sometimes the answer is later, but God always answers prayer. We ask questions like, why should we pray? We said, you know, we, one of the reasons we pray is, is uh, it shows our dependence and our trust in God. And we, we, we said when we pray, it brings us into a deeper relationship with God and that God wants us to love him. He wants to be our father. He wants us to be able to crawl up in his lap and have that love-based relationship. And then um, in, in that sermon in particular, we looked at a commonly misunderstood parable together. It's in Luke chapter 18, and I want to revisit it with you this morning. So if you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, uh, we're going to look at verse 1 through 8. And, uh, and as you turn, I'll, I'll just remind you that this is the parable of the persistent widow. And since we're talking about continuance in prayer, uh, this is the parable of the persistent widow. And when we studied it, we say, listen, this is one of the most misunderstood parables in the Bible because people think that this is allegory. They think that God is somehow the judge, which would make him unjust, by the way. They think that we're the widow. Uh, and if we're the widow, you know, uh, we, we talked about the fact she was penniless and powerless and had no standing. Um, but, but we said, listen, this is not a, this parable is not allegory. It's contrast. God is not the judge. We're not the widow. We're chosen. We're children. We always have standing. He's our father and he will always answer us as we cry out to him uh, day and night. So let's just read this together. Um, verse one through eight. It says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. That's called continuance. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Ah, Jesus is, is talking about the importance of persistence in prayer. And, and we're going we're gonna to come back to this. I just want to kind of lay the foundation, reminding you of that story for a second this morning. Ah, and here's the deal. This is what I love about young kids. Ah, when it comes to young children, you never really have to wonder what's important to them. Because the thing that is important to them, they talk about uh, nonstop, right? I mean, they talk about it all of the time. Right now in our house, it is Minecraft. And that's probably an admission that I'm a failure as a parent. But Minecraft is very important in my children's lives right now, evidently. And here's the deal. Like, like we limit the amount of time they can play. Our kids can only play Minecraft for 30 minutes on Saturdays. That's it. Just 30 minutes on Saturdays. Now, I did some math. There's, there's 10,080 uh, minutes in, in the week, and our kids get 30 of those to play Minecraft. That's it. 
right? And guess what? The other 10,050, they talk to me about Minecraft. That's what they do. And I'm like, dear goodness, I don't know if I should let them play more so that they'll discuss it less. Maybe wear them out. I don't know if, if I've made it such a special prize unto them that it's the thing. But this is what they care about right now in life. And hear me, in, in, in a greater, um, godlier sense, that's the way that we're supposed to be with God. We're supposed to be continually carrying on a conversation with him about the things that are important to us. On a regular basis, we're supposed to be talking to him about the things that we really care about. Supposed to be a continuing conversation. And scripture gives us a lot of examples of how this continuance or this perseverance in prayer can be done. And so I want to go over three of those ways that you can do this. Okay, and here's the first as we study scripture. We see that we can continue in prayer uh, over an extended length of time. Okay, we can continue in prayer over an extended length of time. You think about Moses. Moses went up on the mountain with God for 40 days. Uh, And he was there in the presence of God, talking with God. That's called prayer, by the way. Uh, He's talking with God up on the mountain for 40 days on two occasions, by the way. Moses got this. You think about Jesus. Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, goes out in the wilderness and he fasts, which is praying. He's, He's fasting and praying in the wilderness for 40 days where he's tempted by Satan himself, by the way. Uh, Matthew chapter 4. Um, there's a, there's another occasion, uh, Luke chapter six. I think I've got it on, on the, on the slide for you. Luke chapter six says on a different occasion, on one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, which he did this a lot. But, but this, I like this one because Luke gives us this extra little bit of information. And he spent the night praying to God. Jesus stayed up all night in Luke six twelve all night praying to God. You know what he did the next morning? He chose the 12 and he began his public ministry. It was probably a pretty important night, right? I, I, so I, I want you to see there, there are times all through Scripture. Um, Paul and, and, and Silas were, were, were doing something very similar when they were in jail, right? Acts 16, 25, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And, and you've kind of got to see what's going on. I mean, they're having a prayer meeting. They've now continued to the wee hours of night, praying to God as they're in jail, singing praises to God and praying. And God hears those those prayers and he moves in a powerful way. Those were effective prayers. Uh, Something similar with Peter in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, Peter is imprisoned by Herod and he's imprisoned by Herod because Herod has just killed James, the brother of John, and the Jews were really excited about it. And so Herod thought, you know what, I'll keep killing these folks. And so he arrests Peter and and Peter's about to be put on trial, which will be a mockery, just like the other one was. And he's going to be put to death. And so the church knows this and the church is meeting and they are praying fervently for Peter. They're having a prayer meeting up into the wee hours of the night. And it says that God answers and moves in a powerful way, sends an angel of the Lord, right? He sends an angel of the Lord, uh, delivers Peter. Then Peter eventually goes and he knocks on the door where the church is praying and they don't even believe it's him. Like, yeah, how can it be you? We're praying for you. Yeah, exactly. That's the point, right? And so when we talk about continuance, I want you to know that that's one type. Maybe it's an urgent need or a big decision and it demands an extended period of prayer. We pray for a long uh, length of time. Second type of continuance, we can continue in prayer on multiple occasions. We can continue in prayer on on multiple occasions, and that's the point of the parable we just read in Luke 8, 
8.18, it's persistence over a period of time. And this, too, is a biblical form of continuing in prayer. Jesus did this himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember? This is what it says. Uh, Matthew 26.39, this is going a little farther. He fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then Jesus goes and he speaks to his disciples. And then it says this, just a little bit like Matthew 26, 42. It says he went away a second time and he prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. It, 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 it's another occasion. Now, now some people say, well, didn't Jesus say that we shouldn't just say the same thing over and over? Yeah, he was talking about babbling because the pagans would often pick one word and just, ah, 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 and they would babble and they would cut themselves and they would wait for their gods to show up. He's saying, you don't pray to God like that, but it's okay to pray the same prayer to God on multiple occasions. If it's heavy on your heart, he wants to hear it. And Jesus models that for us. He prays a second time. Paul prays on multiple occasions, doesn't he? First Corinthians chapter 12 says that he prayed to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord. He begged and beseeched the Lord on three different occasions about this thorn that was placed in his flesh. And we remember the answer to Paul was no. God said to Paul, no, I, I know what you're asking for, but I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you my grace and it's going to be sufficient for you. And oh, by the way, I'm going to use you to plant several churches and write half my New Testament. OK. I'm better. Paul prays, God answers, but Paul prayed on three occasions. And that's another form of continuance in prayer that brings us to the third form of continuance. We can continue in prayer through a lifestyle of fellowship with God. We can continue in prayer through a lifestyle of fellowship with God. First Thessalonians 5.16 Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Get this, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for you. Now, I love that verse, and I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to be honest with you. I typically use that verse uh, to, to when, when it comes to sour face, Debbie Downer Christians, and I just say to them, listen, stop, all right? You know you know the ones that, like, I'm a Christian, but every time they're in church, they, like they, they got up in the morning, and they went to brush their teeth, and they were going to follow it down with some water, and they grabbed vinegar instead. I don't like that song, and that music too loud, and I didn't, they didn't play my favorite, and the carpet's not right color and just that just that face all the time and they're always down and they're always they're never happy or the people that are over critical just got the critical spirit going and i just want to say to them listen stop it stop being negative that is not god's will for you it is not god's will that you be a debbie downer and it is not god's will that you be negative and listen cynicism is not a fruit of the spirit stop it stop it it's not a spiritual gift and it's not a blessing to anyone. You, this is God's will for you, be joyful in all circumstances. I say that to them. But with the same token, I say that to them. The Holy Spirit looks at me dead in the eye and says, okay, that's fine. Because you're right, that is God's will that they be joyful. It's also His will that you pray continually. That's what the verse says. 
Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For what? For this is God's will for you in, in Christ Jesus. Stop the press. You've got to hear that. What is God's will for my life? That I pray continually. It is the very will of God for me that I walk in a lifestyle of fellowship with Him. People come to me all the time, Pastor, what is God's will for me? That you walk in fellowship with Him. Paul calls it walking in the Spirit. Or living in the Spirit, Galatians 5. He points out that doing so produces great fruit in our lives. And that's what God's will is for you. God's will for you is that you produce great amounts of fruit. Fruit that will last. Love and joy. And peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. That is God's will for you. See, we think about God's will and we try to apply it to whatever our job is or what kind of house we should live in and where we should go to school. No, God's will for you is that you would walk closely with him all the days of your life and the rest is gravy. You know, the stuff that makes everything better, right? Just the stuff on top. I'm fine with the chicken fried steak alone. The gravy's just bones. God's will for you is that you walk in fellowship with him. I want to be honest with you this morning. I need you to hear this very clearly. There is a major difference between spending time with God or praying on an occasion or walking in constant prayer and fellowship with God. It's a major difference. Most Christians pray on an, an occasion. Maybe they get up in the morning and they pray. Maybe they pray over their meals three times a day. There's a vast difference between praying to God on an occasion and walking in prayer with God all day. And I'll give you an example from my own life. Wednesday morning, I've been trying. Cole is about to go to public school. Our schedules are about to radically shift. I've been shifting my schedule in preparation for his schedule so that I can get up and I can have my coffee before I have to deal with the request of breakfast, spend time with the Lord and study his word and and read and study and pray. And that's just kind of my time. And so kind of have been setting my alarm and doing my thing. And Wednesday morning, I have been doing what I've been doing all week. And it was good. And the time was good. And I spent some time. And I even that morning specifically, I prayed for my wife and my children and, and just all kinds of different things. I remember praying. And, and then uh, and then I, I got up and, and uh, I put a couple things on Facebook, some quotes, some things that I was thinking about. And, uh, and I went about my day. And then the kids came in. And they started asking for stuff. And I started making some breakfast. And then they started whining and complaining and fussing and fighting. And before I knew it, I was telling them, like, I, listen, I don't want to kill you, but I might. And, and you know, and, and my wife just kind of said lovingly, hey, honey, kind of went in the bedroom and she was kind of reading her Bible. She said, hey, did you read your Bible today? I said, yeah. You know what happened is I prayed on an occasion, but I wasn't walking in a constant fellowship of prayer with God. I prayed on an occasion, but it was vastly different from walking because what I should have done with the very first complaint is said, oh, God, I love these kids. Thank you for the blessing that they are and continued to serve. But I didn't. There's a vast difference between praying one or two or three times a day and walking in continual prayer with God. OK, uh, number one, we pray more effectively when we continue our conversation with God over a period of time. Second key. Here we go. We pray more effectively when we pray earnestly. We pray more effectively when we pray earnestly. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, 
he offered up prayers and petitions, get this, with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. How did Jesus pray? With everything that he was. Jesus prayed with everything that he was, with loud cries and tears. Prayer cost him something. Acts 12.5, we talked about this earlier as Peter was in prison. Uh, the church was praying for him. It says this, it says, so Peter was kept in prison, but get this, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. What does that mean? Well, that, that, that words mean that, that word literally means that they were fervently praying. It means it, it's something that's deep rooted. It's something that they cared about greatly. That they were pouring themselves into this prayer for Peter as they stayed up all night begging God for his release. Fervent prayer or earnest prayer is the sense that we get when we read the prayers of the saints of the Old Testament, isn't it? Ever read one of the prayers of David and you're like, oh my gosh, why, why don't I pray like that? I'll give you an example, the 86th Psalm, uh, Psalm 86, just one through three. David says, hear, O Lord, and answer me. I mean, you, you can hear what's going on from the very beginning. He's not like, dear God, thank you for today and thanks for this food and thanks for my car. Amen. Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. God, guard my life, for I am devoted to you. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. See, God, that's how I want to pray. Right? Listen to this prayer of Moses for his people. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. Let's turn to Exodus together. Exodus 32. Um, and, and, and man, listen, some stuff has just happened with the Israelites that should anger any leader, right? Moses, it, it, God's made him the, the leader of these people. And Moses goes up on the mountain and he's hanging out with God and God's saying, this is my covenant with you and this is what you're going to live by and I'm going to give you some laws for your land. And, uh, and if you follow these things, there's, there's blessing and it's going to be good and that's the old covenant kind of system uh, of theology there. And, uh, and so, so that's going on. And now Moses comes down from the mountain and instead of finding people on their face worshiping God, he founds, find, finds people that are in the midst of some of the greatest uh, debauchery that you could imagine. And they're worshiping a golden calf, which they formed for himself, who Aaron has put together. And, and, and he walks down from this amazing encounter with God, and he's got the new, he's got this covenant, uh, uh, with God, he's got these tablets with God, he's got the law for the people of God, and he comes down, and, and just, just outright vulgar debauchery all over the place. And he walks into that, and, 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 and then he begins to pray with God, and this is what he says, Exodus 32, 9 through 14, because it kind of angered God a bit. Starting in verse 9. I have seen these people, the Lord says to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. God says, now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. God said, I'll just get rid of them. I'll just work with you. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. 
Listen to this prayer. Oh, Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say that it was uh, with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? He said, God, I don't want your your glory. I, I want the nations to know that you are good, loving God. He says, please turn um, turn from your fierce anger and relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham and Isaac and, 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 and Israel to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and I will give your descendants all this land I promise them and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. Moses prayed earnestly to God for the nation of Israel. He prayed his guts out is what he did. <laughs> There's so many more examples in the Bible I'd love to share with you, but I, I've got to get to these two things and, and we'll wrap it up. I just want you to see these two things, okay? I want you to understand that earnest prayer cannot be manufactured. You can't make this stuff up. Folks, it just doesn't work. You, you can't manufacture earnest prayer. I, I, I cannot stand disingenuous emotions. When, when, when somebody tries to manufacture an emotion in order to, 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 to get something that they want, it drives me nuts. And whether that's somebody that gets pulled over for a speeding ticket. and I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous. And hear me, we, we can laugh about that, but people try to do this with God. They try to be disingenuous with God. And here's why I hate it. I hate it because it's a form of lying. To try to manufacture something that you're not truly feeling, you're a phony. You're lying. And lying is a sin. And sin separates us from God and breaks our fellowship with God and makes our prayer ineffective and unproductive. And so you cannot manufacture earnestness in prayer. You can't. You say, well, pastor, if, if, if it's important that I be earnest in prayer, but I can't make myself do it, then what do I do? Well, here's the great thing. While, while you can't manufacture it, you can learn it. Earnest prayer can be learned. Earnest prayer can be learned. John chapter 14, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit is coming. He says, I'm sending another one, a counselor, uh, a guide. And he says, he's going to teach you. All the things that I uh, have taught you, he's going to remind you, he's going to guide you and, and, and get this. He says he's going to live in you. And, and so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen, the Holy Spirit is going to be your teacher and your God. And he's going to teach you from the inside out. He's going to teach you from the inside out. And somebody says, well, uh, so, so what does that mean as far as earnest prayer? Well, get this, because earnest prayer must be genuine. We must learn to genuinely care about the things that God cares about as we pray. See, because earnest prayer must be genuine, then we must learn to genuinely care about the things that God cares about. And so here's how we learn to pray earnestly, okay? Give you just three little things. Number one, you ask God to help you see others as he sees them. Ask God to give you his eyes and it will radically change your life. God, give me your eyes. Help me see people the way that you see them. It will radically change your life. You str struggle with judging other people. Ask God to, to let you see them through his eyes. 
You struggle with thinking that somebody's too far gone. You ask God to let you see them through his eyes. And suddenly you, you don't start to judge people. You start to see all the hurt in the world and the hurt in people. And you start to care about them, and be compassionate for them. It's crazy. Okay. Ask God to help you see others as he sees them. Number two, ask God to help you see the hurting and those in need. And this is just a, another step from that. So, God, I want to see people the way that you see them. In fact, God, I want to see the hurt and I want to see the need. God's always aware of those things. And you're going to begin again. You're going to start to see your heart change. OK. Or three, ask God to break your heart for the lost. As his heart was broken for the lost. Jesus said, this is what he came for. To seek and save those that were lost. That were lost. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem and he wept over the city, do you think he was weeping just because he was about to be murdered? Do you think he was weeping just because the cross laid before him? No, he was weeping because he knew that, that all the crowds that are screaming his name and this city that thought that, that, that they wanted to make him king, he knew that they didn't get it. He knew that they were lost and he knew that he was leaving and that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he had a great heart for the people. This is what he tried to teach his disciples time and time and time again to show people compassion. And, and he said that phrase on a regular basis. They're like sheep without a shepherd. He's trying to drive home the point. Ask God to break your heart for the lost. And as you begin to pray these things, the Holy Spirit's going to begin to do that in you. He's going to teach you from the inside out. And as he does, you're going to begin to learn what earnest prayer is all about. The gut-wrenching, weeping, crying out kind of prayer that God rewards. Psalm 126, 5 and 6 says, Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. So I'm going to ask you some questions and we'll close. When is the last time you prayed with that kind of passion? All honesty. When is the last time you prayed earnestly? You cried out to God. That you felt what you were saying, that it hurt. When, when's the last time that you were broken hearted for others? When you let your guard down and you cried out on behalf of the brokenness you saw around you? When is the last time you wept for the lost because they were like sheep without a shepherd? Friends, I'm going to say this to you in love, but if you can't remember, then it's been too long. Give you some homework and we'll call it quits. Number one, application. Extend the conversation. I don't know what your prayer life looks like. I don't know if it's when you get out of bed. I don't know if it's just when you go to bed at night. Maybe you're praying over your meals. Maybe, um, maybe, you're, a, maybe you're a student. I always used to challenge my students, pray at the beginning of every class. I thought it was crazy, but it was a way I knew that they were going to have six periods. It was six times a day they were going to pray, plus hopefully over lunch, seven times during their school day that they pray. That's a good start to praying continually. And 
I don't know when you pray, but here's my challenge. Whenever you pray, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you this week. Try to extend the conversation. The things that you talk about in that moment, try to talk about them with God throughout the day and see what happens. Extend the conversation, okay? Number two, I want you to focus on on living in fellowship, okay? If you focus on walking with the Lord, it changes everything. Just make that your focus. Galatians 5, when it talks about living in the Spirit, it says, listen, when we live in the Spirit, we don't have to worry about stumbling in the flesh because the Spirit opposes the sins of the flesh naturally. And I think as Christians, we so often we do the opposite. We try to walk around with the, with the stone ten commandments and, and we're staring at those suckers. And I don't know about you, but I'm an idiot, you know. When, when my mom used to leave the house, there was like two rules, you know. Like don't, don't get in the oven and don't, you know. what. I would put all kinds of things in that sucker and see what I could. I mean, the moment she said don't touch it, I was on it. Like I was, I was scheming with things. And, and we do that so often. We're so worried about stumbling and we're so worried about falling. And hear me, guys, sin is dangerous. It is dangerous. But if all you do is try not to sin, you will sin. But if instead what you try to do is walk with Jesus, you're going to naturally oppose a lot of that stuff automatically. Because Jesus opposes the sins of the flesh. That's who he is. That's what walking in the spirit is about. Okay. Number three. Ask God to break your heart. Ask God to break your heart. I want to warn you, that's a powerful prayer. I know a man that um, before he met Christ, he uh, he had some issues and one of them was anger. And Robbie will share with you how he uh, at one point threw a, 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 a wrench at one of his children. OK, that's a CPS call, right? Threw a wrench at one of his kids. Luckily, by the grace of God, he missed, but barely. He can talk to you about about how angry he was for much of his marriage. And then he, he came to know Christ. And he began to hear about the need for brokenness. And so he just started praying that God would break him. And, and Robbie made people uncomfortable. Because in the middle of, of, of singing songs to God, he would just be at the altar weeping. And the moment that the pastor said amen, it wasn't even like that. I mean, during this part, Robbie's already making his way down to the altar because he's ready to do business with the Lord. And he's weeping over his sin. And he's weeping over the lostness of, of his community. And he's, I mean, he's just broke. He, and Robbie's a great guy. He's just broken hearted all the time. And it's awesome. But it makes people uncomfortable. So I want to challenge you. Pray that prayer. Because you'll never regret the time that you did. The cool thing about Robbie is his life changed dramatically. To this day, his wife, Marilyn, passed away of cancer. It came on and she was gone so quickly. And he looks back and he 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 he's angry at himself for how long he was a jerk. But I I try to encourage him. Listen, it's not about how long you're a jerk. Remember how long she got to see you broken. Because that's what made all the difference in the world to her. What do you need to be broken of this morning? You guys pray.